Hey everybody, welcome to the Faith Church Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Jay Williams. Joining me today is Jeff Clossy. Hey Jay, how's it going? Uh, it's going great. Great, good yeah. to see you. Yeah, it's good to see you. I have not seen you since you abandoned me in the woods. Here we go. On a bike. Here we go. <laughs> on a bike. I haven't seen you since you since you like went away to, as a dot on the trail. Like, And you looked with see? what? <laughs> with eyes of... I just like, oh, guys, are we still on the trip? Like, see you later, Jay. You're fine. <laughs> You'll be fine, buddy. We'll come find you. Yeah. But did you? I had a tracker on you the you whole time. Didn't, you didn't come <laughs> by me. You come by me. Yeah, we went riding in the in the woods, deep in the, what was that forest? The Hiawatha. The Hiawatha. Yeah, deep in the, the Hiawatha. Badenoch Grand Island Trail. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. I, I think it's. I think it's overstating it to call it a trail. It felt more like a <laughs> slight clearing in places. Oh man! And, and uh, it basically every time, every time we'd stop, then you guys just ran up ahead, and then I was left in the dust. And then, um, and so then I, I valiantly offered that you guys could go without me, fully expecting you to be like, no, no, we came together, let's finish together. And, and you guys were all like, sweet, and then phew, it was like. <laughs> Cartoon dust cloud left behind <laughs> that with the with the dust and the mud on my face as you peeled out and you're gone. So um, were there tears or? No, I mean there's no time for crying when you're like lost in Survive. the woods. I had survival mode, and then I crashed down a ditch into a, like down a little embankment, and uh, but I I survived. I did end up on someone's property at one point and thought, well, this isn't where I'm supposed to be, so that was good. And then you heard, get out of my yard. Get out of my yard. Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering about that. I thought, mm, I need to back away quickly. But uh, yeah. So I mean, I just think it was a good, it was a good lesson um, in true friendship. You like you, the whole thing is like in trials, you find out who <laughs> your real friends are. Right you find out who your real friends are. And sometimes you don't want to know. Sometimes that's bad, you know, but it's good. It's ultimately good. So um in that in that trial, I found out who my real friends were, and I'm still looking for them. And here we are. <laughs> yeah. And what I discovered was all my real friends were not on that bike trip with me. Oh my god! That's gosh. what I discovered. <laughs> Dude, you're killing me uh, here. I know. Th- nobody knows. People don't realize. Like my only hope is that Robbie is listening to this right now and smiling. Um, I think what people are feeling is bad for me, not probably right now, not you. They're like, oh my gosh, why does well, he keep doing yeah. that to Jeff? That's kind of the bit. But, you know, <laughs> what I do know is there are, well, yeah. Yeah. You know, listen, people can interpret how they want to interpret. They can draw their own conclusions. Um, I'm just saying that I had faith in my friends and their works demonstrated that I shouldn't have. It sounds you, like we had more faith in you than you did, with, it sounds like. Yeah. Friendship without works <laughs> is dead, is what I'm what is what I'm saying. What oh I'm my saying. Gosh. Friendship is dead. Um so look at that transition. So it's just, just as a little sidebar. No, though. you can't sidebar when I transition. <clears throat> no, I, I do transitioned. Wanna, I know that we have millions of listeners. I, so we, I would like there to be no one on the trail when I go next time, but I would recommend works is dead. it was a perfect transition and you're ruining it. I Fine, would recommend the trail. We just we launched from Rapid River. That you, area. You interrupted a perfect transition to say thumbs up yes. on the trail. Why? Because I want other people <laughs> to enjoy what I enjoyed. Oh. Well, Isn't fantastic. that just so Yeah. 
if you want to enjoy what Jeff enjoyed, ride the bait and knock with a or friend that it. you would like to ditch. That's how that's how you can have full enjoyment of it. You could also do it on horseback. Can do it on horseback. There was evidence of that. Lots of evidence, right? We, yes. Who was it? it? Was we were told? Oh, I don't think many horses are on this. Well, let me tell you, if there weren't many horses, then that horse is very regular. One, yeah, one horse has very a lot. active digestion, digestive tract. That horse does. If there was not many horses on that trail, because holy cow, pies. Yes. You had to ride around it. It was no big Started deal, there. but yeah. Yeah, it was no, well, around it, through it, whatever. I mean, sometimes you don't have a choice, Jeff. No, it's Especially true. Especially when you're abandoned. Oh All right, gosh. now, now the, back to my great transi- transition. Uh, so this week we covered faith without works. Very fitting. But In how, James? In James, in the book of James, right. We're in our series in the book of James. You know what I find interesting right now about James is that everybody says... When I say everybody, I'd say most commentaries talk about how James is, it is proverb-like in a lot of ways. It does have these very memorable, you know, statements. And that's how I always think of it as. But when you just listen to it, I've been like listening to it, like the whole thing, you know, and you read through the whole thing. I mean, he, he's touching on the same themes again and again. And then he ties them up in different ways. And he makes these connections and callbacks, which again makes sense. Because remember, you know, as you're as we read through James, it's important to remember that this was originally written to be read aloud all at once to an audience. You know, it was not people were not handed out their own little versions like we do on Sunday morning. Everyone has or a lot of people have those scripture journals and those are fantastic. But that is not how this came. Like when when the letter was delivered to a church, it didn't come in an Amazon shipment with like a hundred copies of it and they pass them all out and say hey let's read this together and go through it word by word it was just read and people had to digest it and so a lot of themes are revisited um, making different connections so that the hearer could understand those connections and so this passage um, specifically you'll see you'll see the themes of partiality and and um, coming up again and again you'll see the power um where words have power and and where they don't. And then you'll see this theme of faith without works. Excuse me. Hold on. (coughs) Wow. (coughs) I have the fog thing too today. It's the weather. And here we see a revisiting of this idea of the importance of works. And so earlier, James says, be doers of the word, not hearers only. And so he's setting up this idea that that what you do matters. What you do demonstrates whether you believe. And so don't just hear the word, do what it says. And in the same way, don't just say you have faith and settle for a faith that is just merely believing, but let but pursue a faith that produces works. Because faith is demonstrated belief. It's not just intellectual agreement. It is it is a faith that says, Well, if I believe what Jesus says about that, then I will pursue it. I'll demonstrate that by how I pursue it. And so you will see that theme over and over again. 
Um, that's about all I have to say about that. So we should probably wrap up the podcast unless you want to chime in. I've got some ideas. Oh, okay. Thanks, Jay. Uh, I, I was just thinking <laughs> just that there's like... I, Robbie's there, dying a thousand deaths right now. I think he does still listen, by the way. He's one of our 12 listeners. 14. Love you, Robbie. <clears throat> uh, I was just thinking like this passage. So depending on your experience of faith, you know, and your church experience, this is, a, this is an idea. Like if you grew up in a church like Faith Church, this is an idea that wouldn't have been new to you, right? This is something that um, the idea that we're saved by faith, uh, that we're saved by trusting, and it's all his grace, is something that we talk about a lot. And we do talk about obedience, right? The centrality of obedience. And I, I guess I'm just I'm thinking out loud here, but what James is saying, it's so foundational to, to everything that we're trying to build our faith on, right? That and we do this very naturally in every area of our life. When we believe a certain thing, we act in a certain way, right? It's just constant for us. But this one in particular, I think, you know, one question, Jay, that I that I wrote down, I didn't write it on a card. I just wrote it on a piece of paper and brought it with me. I'll allow it. I was curious. Thank you. I was curious what, as you were prepping and thinking through this, what you might think of it. Of it. But I was thinking... It would be easy to hear this, especially if you heard it before, that faith without works is dead, powerless, right? Lifeless, not real. It'd be easy to hear it and not in agreement. You know, just kind of like, yeah, I, I get that. Yep, I agree. Mm-hmm. So I guess one of the questions that I wrote down is, what does it look like to respond to this message with genuine faith? <laughs> so like if you would apply this message to itself, essentially, how do you... What does it look like for us to respond to it in that way, in a in a genuine faith? Well, I think I think one way is what I was trying to do in the message was to um, to think of all the areas of your life and to see if you can just at first blush, just in taking an assessment, are there areas where you aren't acting in accordance with what you say you believe either by, um, you know, for example, I gave the example a couple of times, but it's a common one that we believe we say God is in control. If you ask, do you believe God is in control? Yes, I believe that. And yet I worry. And when Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, again, those parallels between James and the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus talks about that. He's he's just demonstrating, he's trying to articulate that, well, if you actually believed, if if you understood this, then you wouldn't worry because this is actually reality. Reality is that you have a, a good father who loves you and he pays attention to everything. And if he makes sure if he makes sure that the lilies of the field are clothed, then surely, you know, he's He's going to make sure you're close. So don't worry about those things. And he's not saying it in a, like we talked about before, he's not saying it in a condemning way or a shaming way or a like, why, you know, why are you saying, are you saying that God isn't good? He's not, it's not an antagonistic way. It's a reality. It's just a statement of reality. And so I think one way to respond in faith in this is to not, um, to not deflect or settle or defend those things, but actually go through them. And by that, I mean, you know, I, I mentioned like justifying, defending. We often say to one another, again, just let's just take the worry example. We often say to one another, you know, oh, like 
we, we affirm worrying. And I'm trying to make the point that you can be compassionate about someone's worry and understanding, much like Jesus was. I don't think Jesus was flippant or dismissive of their worry at all. He's looking with compassion and saying, hey, I get it. I, I empathize with you. I understand because you're not in control. So actually, when you're not in control, worrying if you're not in control of getting food, then worrying about food is actually a really rational, normal thing. He's saying, but there's something better because there is one who is in control of that and he loves you. So that's, I think, the, the model of how we should um, help one another in that where we are compassionate about, hey, I understand because it sounds like you're kind of taking this on your own shoulders. And so, yeah, that's a really scary thing um, to take all this on your shoulders and to be compassionate about that. But isn't it incredible that, that the reality is God is sovereign over this? And so that was the, the, like, not allowing the defending. The deflecting part is, like, we tend to, if we hear something like this, faith without works is dead, uh, we tend to assess ourselves based on our strengths and on the areas where we feel like we're doing well. And so you could hear this and not along me, like, yeah, that's why I do this. Whatever the thing is, like, that's why I go serve at the homeless um, shelter. That's why I'm a foster parent. That's why I am active in at the, in the schools. That's why I do that, you know, and we tend to look at it and say, right, and if everyone else believed that, then they would be with me in doing this one thing. And we tend to ignore the sides that, um, we, we tend to ignore the parts of scripture that we aren't doing well and that actually demonstrates we don't believe. Like, do you believe that, do you really believe that it is better um, to repay evil with good? Or do you think that there's like sometimes you have to fight fire with fire? Do you really believe that you should expect persecution for just following Jesus through really, even even if you're following Jesus blamelessly, do you expect that there's still going to be opposition? Or do you feel entitled to, like, if I follow Jesus, then everything should be smooth sailing? So does that make sense? Like yeah, just like does. Just looking holistically at your life. And, and, and I will add this, that... One of the best ways that I found in my own life to do that is just moment by moment. It's almost like a, this is going to sound terrible, but it's like a random drug test as opposed to like knowing it's coming. Like we tend to like think of our tests of faith of like, okay, I know I'm walking into the situation and I know, and that is a good thing to do, to proactively determine what does faith look like? What does my faith demonstrate look like as I go and meet with this person that I've had a falling out with? So that's awesome absolutely do that proactively as you go to worship what does faith demonstrated look like as i go to worship absolutely do that but also take inventory of the random times the times that you know where you're not even thinking about that where you're where you just while you're driving and someone cuts you off take inventory of what was what was my response there what did i how, what did I? What would I have said to them if they actually, you know, had stopped and rolled down their window? You know, what would I? What look would I have given them? Um, with the way that you speak to your child or your spouse or your neighbor, like stopping and taking inventory and thinking, okay, what do I believe about that interaction? Did I actually act in accordance with that? So, so that's. I don't know if that's helpful or not. That's was a lot there, but no, I mean. The reason I ask, it is helpful. I think it's, it's one of the, I think there's probably a lot of people who heard 
what what you preached and heard what James was saying and really the Holy Spirit was saying and and can feel that there is a there's a dissonance there's a you know, there's no one in the room truthfully right there's no one in the room on Sunday who could say I, I have this nailed I guess that's part of what I was driving at and then you said it like there's an assumption that we need to bring when we hear this mm-hmm. that God I I need help. And maybe that's the most basic, easy response initially, right? It's like, I just acknowledging I need help. And then maybe like, like search me and know me, like seek out in me, Lord, the ways that still need refining and transforming um, and then approaching it that way. And I, I think what you're describing of like starting to really do some analysis with God and hopefully with other people, it could be really powerful because here's the thing, like you could be a person who's, who's thinking of this, like, are my, is my faith alive or not? Like, do I have deeds that accompany it? And like, you made me think of a, like taking a test, like a written test. So like, we might be able to answer the questions, does faith need to be accompanied by works, true or false, you know, and fill in the blanks of, if you believe this about the poor, your actions should be whatever. And you fill it in. That's really different though, for us than what it looks like to be, to live that that like answering it, knowing the answers. And I think it can be hard, you know, weakness of our desire of our strength, I think of wanting to know the word and what God says, a weakness of that can be that our, our faith is kind of informational in that way rather than lived and experiential. So here, I want to drill down just a little further though. And you mentioned the worry one. And as you were saying that, I thought, so, so what would we recommend for somebody in that case, like using that as a case study this person is like, actually, I do have a lot more fears than I really ought to, given what I say I believe, and I'm not okay with that. So this person is coming to a place of humility and saying, I'm not okay with that. I want to change that. Then what? You know what I mean? Like if there's a, not just like you see, I have these strengths and I'm missing my weaknesses, but seeing like, hey, this is a huge weakness for me. What do I do about that? How, what would a faithful response look like for that kind of person? I mean, I, I think it depends obviously on on what what we're talking about you know if um if it's something like worry then i think a faithful response is is simply to just call it out and and to confront my lack of belief like con- confront unbelief that's just like starts right there and even and when you do just the act of confronting that is exposing it with light you're shedding light on it. And once that's exposed, and once you realize, okay, by worrying about this right now, I'm saying that God is not in control. A very real example for me is I tend to be a little claustrophobic. And I also, um, I, have a, I have a very active imagination. And so um, for a long time, I was burdened with worry about just um, scenarios, especially on airplanes. And so like I'd fly and if I flew, as long as I was with my family, totally fine. But flying by myself was stressful. And then on top of that, to feel a little claustrophobic sitting, you know, in, in the middle or anything like that, I, I could start to break out into like physical sweat and, and cold and clammy and my breathing would start to change and all this stuff. And I remember, uh, on one very long flight, um, you know, like talking eight, nine hours, I was stuck in the middle of the middle um, section on one of those big airplanes where you have three sections across. 
and I started, I could feel it. Like my heart mm. started to increase my heart rate. My, my skin started getting clammy. I started sweating. I started thinking like, you know, I was trapped. I started feeling like that. Now I'm not saying this, you know, is for everybody, but for me, I had to confront like, okay, Jay, what you're actually, your body is actually acting out something that's going on in your spirit. And you you are actively saying right now that God doesn't see doesn't see you, that he is not in control of the situation, that whatever happens with this plane is random, whatever happens with you right now is is random. Now, are those things I actually, that I believe? Like, no, I believe that God is in control, but I'm not acting out on it in that moment. And so you have to call out. And that's where, you know, when I bring up that the father of the the demon-possessed boy, that that tension of realizing that I'm constantly a mixed bag of belief and unbelief. And I think when we, you, you mentioned like, you know, should, should works be accompanied by, or should faith be accompanied by works, true or false? We often turn things into binary things. Do you believe this or do you not? And if you say, well, you know, like if in that moment somebody said to me, well, you don't believe God is in control, I would say with integrity, yes, I do. But I would also have to say with integrity, no, I don't. Yeah. Like I don't fully. And so confessing that and saying, okay, God, I do, but I do believe I'm confessing my unbelief right now. And so I actually started in that moment, um, started reciting Psalm 23 just over and over Mm. again. And I felt all of a sudden, like I felt my heart rate slow down, my, um, everything change. And I don't know why, but from that moment on, when that was years ago, I have not been bothered by being on a plane or being in the middle or being like every once in a while, I'll get a little like, uh, am I, am I trapped? But it gets dealt with really quickly. And so I think, I, I don't know, man, it's just so hard. You there. Yeah, go ahead. So I think that's a really great example of demonstrated faith. So like even in the moment of, of feeling like I really shouldn't be afraid here because I believe what I believe about God, but then turning to God in faith and crying out to him for help with faith and then his word is an act of faith. Sure. And it was it was accompanied by action. It wasn't just like I thought you actually were crying out and you were you were taking steps to then repeat the psalm. So to me, I just want to highlight that that yeah. might be um, for a lot of us a, a picture of what it could look like in an area where we feel like this is like this is like a a thorn for me. This thing is constantly bothering me. I know it shouldn't, but it does. I shouldn't be afraid here, but I am. I think what you just described is an active faith, active faith. Um, and it, it was accompanied by deed. It was. Yeah. And I think, but where that starts is just acknowledging. And I don't know why we're so, we're so afraid. We're so afraid to confess as a culture and to acknowledge our unbelief. And I don't know who we're trying to protect a reputation for because God already knows like what's going on. And, like me telling God, oh, no, 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 I totally believe is not hiding anything. And me confessing my unbelief is not changing how God views me and is not making him, it actually is opening myself up to the power of the Holy Spirit to actually be transformed in, you know, in faith um, and to actually experience change. And so many people like miss out on incredible change 
because we're just unwilling or unable to confess our unbelief. We just want to think there's some other way. And so like in that example, I could have gone down the road of saying, well, God, why did you put me in the middle of the middle? You know, I struggle with tight spaces. Like, why did you do this to me? And, and even leading up, which I did, by the way, leading up to that flight, I prayed over and over and over again that God would put me in an aisle because we hadn't had seats assigned. It was, a, it was a weird international flight that God would put me in an aisle. And I believed he would put me in an aisle. I even believe this was back in the day before you had to pay extra to be in the emergency row. Like it was up to the people at the front desk. They, if you asked, they, they'd kind of look at you and maybe put you in the exit row. And so I believed that he would put me in the exit row and he put me in the middle of the middle. And in that moment, I have like, I have to confront this, this belief of, do I believe that God abandoned me? Do I believe he was powerless to put me in an exit row? Do I feel like, do I believe he just ignored me? Do I believe like he did it just to spite me because I presumptuously asked and he's punishing me for, you know, asking or, or, or putting my hope in that? Or do I believe that he loves me and he has me exactly where he wants me to be and and trust him in that? And and I just think I think we just miss out when we we so quickly go to those external circumstances and rather than looking at those circumstances, again, when James says, Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds, it's God's doing this to develop our faith. And I can tell you, I am way more content now in all circumstances as far as like whether I'm sitting in the back of a van or in a bus or on the subway or any of those things, like I'm so much more content and more joyful because God took me through that trial and and showed me that he was trustworthy and showed me like, hey, you you actually don't need to be afraid because I actually do, I have you that's way better than if he had put me in the exit row that one time, because that those external circumstances, the external circumstance changing will solve that issue for a moment. Yes. But actually changing my heart in it and teaching me how to trust him in those scary moments that, you know, that produces joy for a lifetime. It sounds like too, it, it, he answered your prayer. Like Lord yeah. help my, I believe help my unbelief. Like, yeah, he did. That, that was a very clear, way of answering that. And clearly he knew what that prayer would be before you prayed it because he puts you in the situation where you'd ask it, you know, right. and get to experience it. Like he right. had something way better. Yeah. It's a good, it's a great example of that. Yeah. I, I just think this is a really important. So you, you said like, why, why is it hard or something? I can't remember how you said it, but it's hard for us to admit when we doubt or we, we lack faith. And I do think some of that for a lot of people is tied to if I, if I have any doubts, if I have any questions, or if my faith is weak in some way, it feels weak, then maybe I'm not saved. I think that there can be mm. like this just fear that people who are saved never have that. And unfortunately, that's a huge lie. Right. Right. It's not true. Like, and just reading the scriptures, you see that his right. disciples over and over again have issues with trusting him. Um, it can be very freeing to realize it's possible to believe and to not believe at the same time. It's possible to trust and to still have doubt at the same time and acknowledging it, calling it out, and then crying out to God in the middle of it is how we deal with it rather than denying it or justifying it or saying, actually, no, I, I do believe, you know, it's just, I was weak this time or next time I'll get it 
you know, I'll do it differently. I'll, I'll, I'll actually nail it next time. Um, I do think that's what drives it for some people. It's a fear of, am I, am I his or not? And, and, and usually people who are not his don't worry about that question. That's not a, that's not something they're wondering. Do I have enough faith? Um, that's something that disciples of Jesus wonder and are concerned with. Um, so I, I think that's part of it that contributes to people's fear of talking about it. One, well, I think the fear of what other people think then too, like if I yes. confess, um, my unbelief, like people's view of us as a Christian. I mean, I've shared before of how somebody years ago left the church because I confessed like having doubts at times and they just felt like, well, a pastor shouldn't ever doubt. And I was like, well, then I guess, you know, if you, and I, and I remember saying something, trying to be like, help them understand that actually, if you find a church where the pastor says, never, never have a shred of unbelief in me, um, then he's probably lying. So you got to decide, do you want, do you want a pastor who struggles with unbelief or do you want a pastor who's a liar? (laughs) So like, that's, that's kind of a, you know, I don't know which one, I guess maybe you'd rather, I don't know. Some people would rather have that, but if you, um, depends on the world you want to live in, I guess. I I suppose. (laughs) Like if you want to live in a world that you've constructed and that's the thing is just like feeling this freedom that we're laid bare before the Lord. Yes. And we're supposed to be before one another, but now our own sin gets in the way of that. And so, yeah, it's possible. Like in that situation, if you confess your unbelief, um, then, then we, you do run the risk of being judged. But one way I would encourage people to do that, like one way to start doing that is to just say, is to confront that in that moment and then say, okay, but you can give yourself room. Like we said, the, the, the tension of having belief and unbelief at the same time is a real tension. And so not to even soften it, but to say, I have definitely confessed to friends, you know, hey, could you pray for me? Because I believe this. But I'm struggling, like my actions aren't showing it. You know, my actions are, you know, I believe that God is, is you know, with us in this moment, but I find myself getting increasingly irritable and, um, and just panicky about it. Like it, it's really, it's either panic or loss of control or whatever. Um, I know that like, you know, sometimes in parenting, I've confessed that in parenting, I know that what's most important is to shepherd my kid's heart. I believe that. But my actions right now are showing that I care way more about their behavior than I care about what's going on in their heart. So I'm actually demonstrating unbelief that that really is better, that shepherding their heart really is better than just making sure that they follow all the rules and obey every, all the things. And so giving each other some freedom and space to hold those things in tension so that we are confessing the unbelief that we have, and we're also seeing the 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 belief that we've been given by God as evidence that um, that He's with us, right? Like it, it's it's okay to hold those. Um, it's not only okay, but it's important to hold those intention. And remember that James says, you know, we get, we get these feelings about doubt partly because James says, like, don't don't ask with any doubt. Like if you have if you have any doubt, like don't expect to receive, but he's talking about the double-minded man. Like that's a, that's a pursuit of the heart. So the question is like in that moment, if I'm still hanging on, once I realize I'm camped in the middle of the middle and I realize like, this is where I am, I think double-minded would be, would be like, okay, God, well, 
please fix this. Like I, I you know, I'm going to, I'm going to figure out. So, you know, God, I want you to do this in my heart, but I'm going to keep looking around trying to figure out what, some way to change my circumstances and get out of this scenario in my own strength. Cause clearly you're not going to do it, but I'm going to, I'm going to do that while I'm also like trying to seek you. And I want you to you know give me peace in this moment. Well, I shouldn't expect to receive peace because I'm actually pursuing, I'm, I'm pursuing a double-minded thing. I'm, I'm, I'm pursuing an, another answer. And I think, um, so I, I think that there's, there's, again, it's just all this tension and, and just getting to a place where we can be honest and lay it out on the table. And you don't even have to know, you don't even have to know where the belief and the unbelief is. It's just observing and saying, man, did, would Jesus have spoken to my wife the way I just spoke to my wife? And if the answer is no, then confessing that and saying, okay, where's, where's the unbelief in that? Like, what, what am I actually saying by, by virtue of the fact that I, um, what, do, what am I actually saying I believe by virtue of the fact that I just acted like that? It's good times, huh? It is. I, I was just <laughs> thinking, like, as you prepped, as you prepared, were there other areas where you feel like, given our time, our place, you know, just the, just the the environment we're in where we are susceptible to blindness, you know, where we don't realize it's harder to see that I say, I believe this, but I'm really living as if I don't believe it. Did anything yeah. come to your mind? I mean, lots of things. I mean, our cultural sin, I think anytime when you're talking about cultural sin that comes into play, right? So, you know, we talk about cultural sin, cultural sin is in a given culture, just sin that seems normal to us. You know, we've used this illustration. You've traveled overseas. Like when you go to into a different culture, you'll quickly see what doesn't line up with Christianity. It'll seem really obvious to you because it's not, it's so foreign to you and you're looking at it and going, well, that's foreign to me and it's foreign to scripture. So, um, but they won't see it because you don't recognize the water you swim in and the same goes for us. So mm-hmm. there are a lot of cultural sins in in our culture that we just think are normal or we treat them flippantly. Um, you know, some of the things that come to mind are materialism, division, gossip. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we are into like sinful independence, you know, autonomy. Like um, there are things that we pursue that we actually see as virtues that the Bible talks about as sin and um and they're just foreign to us and so what that means is you're probably going to be surrounded in community by a lot of people who also demonstrate the same unbelief and so it doesn't look like unbelief so it looks like no this is this is the way you do it so an example i think um would be the way we communicate disagreement um in our culture like politically I think that's a big example. So if you're in an area, if you're in a situation where you're saying, well, no, I believe this, that God says this, this is, this is the way, this is what scripture teaches about this issue. And then you, but you communicate an unbelief that God is actually in control of that, right? Like you communicate an unbelief that the way of Jesus is still the way of Jesus, even in the political arena. And so you might have this view, but then what you're communicating through your actions by being um, condescending, by being combative, by being antagonistic, by refusing to listen, by um, you know all those different things, you're communicating that that our role, that the way that Jesus talks about going about these things is is like 
it, it doesn't actually work. And that's hard to recognize when everyone around you is also demonstrating that same unbelief. And so therefore it doesn't look like unbelief. Mm-hmm. I feel like I feel badly for, there were a lot of Pharisees who loved God and wanted to know him. You saw it. There were Pharisees that ended up following Jesus, but they were demonstrating the same unbelief as all the other Pharisees because that's what felt like belief. That's what was normal. It was normal to quibble over tithing mint and dill. It was normal to quibble over like the, the law, uh, the Sabbath. And so it wasn't just, it's not like every Pharisee that Jesus ran into was like this Disney villain, yeah. you know? A lot of them were trying to follow God and trying to honor him and be obedient, but they were blind to their demonstrations of unbelief, largely because the whole culture around them said, no, this is what belief looks like. Yeah, and when something's normal, it's hard to detect. Like, it doesn't show up on radar. It's right. it's stealthy, right? It's not like there, there's a problem here, alert. I think that's why it's it's a helpful conversation just to have and to think about what are the things that are totally normal that actually are, they're, they're supposed to be abnormal. They're supposed to be not happening, but they, they are. And I think you're right, discourse, and that the way of Jesus, there's something better than the way of Jesus in mm-hmm. that and more effective than the way of Jesus, more persuadable and more attention getting. And it's true. There are ways that are, you know, they're more, they're more attention getting, but they're not better. No, they're not better than Jesus's way. Yeah. I, I, I think that that is that question and that pursuit of holiness is so much of what it means to be living as a disciple of Jesus daily to say to him, teach me, Lord, teach me the ways that I still, I don't even realize because it's just normal. I don't realize how, you know, my relationship with money, for example, I'm sure that money is a thing that even when we work hard to identify it, just culturally, it's a problem for us um, because of the amount of wealth we have, even when we feel like we don't. And you, you recognize that immediately, right? When you do go to a place that doesn't have it like we do. Um, but there's probably all kinds of other ones as well that we're just blind to. And I do think that's why those prayers of Lord, search me, know me, lead me, you know, in the ways that are everlasting. Cause he can, he knows those things and he can, he can actually teach us and free us from them in a way that would be life-giving to us and to other people around us. Yeah. I think, I mean, there's so many areas that I see our unbelief. I, I think we have, we, um, yeah, what you just talked about, like with pursuit of money, like we're we're constantly demonstrating that we believe that God's holding out on us, that we've got to take, we've got to take ours. Like we have to get what we can get. Um, we can see it in the way we compare to other people, um, the way that we that we like put so much time and energy into, you know, storing up treasures here on earth, and and with our you know with our in our the entitlement we have towards leisure and leisure time and all that. It's really interesting. It's really fascinating that when you look at the economy and you realize that, well, actually people spend way less on food, clothing, and shelter now, much smaller percentage of their income. We spend a much smaller percentage of our income on food, clothing, and shelter than we did a hundred years ago. And so what that actually means is relatively speaking, our poverty in large part is caused by all of our leisure and all of our expectations. When I say poverty, I'm not talking about people who don't have enough to pay for food, clothing, and shelter. 
But when the Bible talks about being content, like with these things, you you have enough, be, be content. A huge part of our worry about money would be dealt with if we were just content. If we just believed that God was a giver of all good gifts, and if he gives us the opportunity for a vacation, then we take it and we enjoy it. And if our day off looks like, you know, sitting in our backyard, that we would just enjoy it and receive it so much. Think about how much of our worry about money and our belief of like, you know, the different classes and, you know, the 1% and all that. Think about how much would be, would go away if we just, if we were, if it was enough. Like if we thought, if we literally thought, man, if I have food, if I don't have to worry about food and I don't have to worry about shelter, I don't have to worry about clothing. Um, like I'm good. But instead, that's actually a fairly small percentage. It's it's our hobbies, it's our travel, it's our um, it's our toys, it's our technology, it's our like it's all those things that just seem normal to us, and we, and we end up thinking like like now like there's a mentality that's like well how can you expect how can my employer expect me to work um, now again grain of salt there are definitely like there are people right now they're working entirely too much but part of that is like trying to build retirement and trying to like getting to this place where I never have to worry about money and, and pursuing the lack of worry about money through making more money rather than confronting unbelief and saying, okay, God, I'm going to trust you in this and I'm going to work each day, you know, unto you, I'm going to give you that and I'm going to be faithful in that, but I'm going to trust you that it's enough. And if what you have for me in retirement is not traveling the globe and not playing golf every day or not being able to go fishing every day. Um, but it's actually going to be a much more modest lifestyle. Like, okay, like what do I, I mean, it's all, it's, it's all temporary. I mean, until in heaven, I'm, I get to inherit everything. So what in the world should I care about, you know, living in a small apartment now? Yeah, it's interesting how perspective on what you're what you're hoping for, or what you're looking forward to, mm-hmm. changes a lot of what right now feels like, you know, and what you know. Like you just mentioned, a few things that are true for us in Christ that if you don't have before your mind, really would change mm-hmm. how it how it feels like when you think about a retirement. If if you're not looking forward to an inheritance that is yours in Him, it's very different. It is very different. Where do you where do you feel like? Before we wrap up, like I want to know from you, where do you feel like we are susceptible to being blind to this lack of of demonstration of faith? Yeah, I well, I have been feeling like for me in my mind, the categories I put it into is like allegiances. You know, like another way of thinking of it is we have an allegiance to Jesus, and then we have. Other allegiances that we might not say are, but they're function they functionally are. And we, we kind of serve those things. And I do think for a lot of us in the United States, our nation can be that for us. Rather than something that we love and take care of and participate in, it becomes something a bit more ultimate in which we and I think I noticed that most when we lived in a different country for a while and, and I became part of that place and new followers of Jesus there. I think it can be a, and what I don't, I, what I'm not saying is that the place we live doesn't matter and doesn't, you know, deserve our attention and love. I think actually just the opposite. I think C.S. Lewis was, 
I think it was him who said the people who end up doing the most in this world are the people whose, whose heart and mind is on the next. And I, I think that's true, especially when it comes to our allegiances, you know, locally, statewide, na- nationally. I just think all of that um, is an area that we're, we just need to work on. And you mentioned like the dialogue. I think that's part of it. But I just think who has our ultimate allegiance? What kingdom is ultimately our home? And uh, I, I remember when we lived when we lived in Canada, always feeling like that wasn't my home because it wasn't. Um, and I came to find that to be really a gift from God, that feeling, because then passages like your citizenship is in heaven made a lot more sense to me. And I think now coming back here, and we've been here for like four years now, now this doesn't really feel like home either. And it's a different feeling. And I, I'm, just, I'm thankful for that now because I, it's like he's ingrained it in me that my citizenship is in heaven. And I'm, I'm here for that place. You know, like you said, that's what we're living for. I do think that's an area we just need to each pray for each other in because it would be really hard to have an honest conversation because of the cultural moment we are in because I think it can feel like you're attacking a certain party or a certain person, like anytime you talk about politics or nation right now. But I think that that is, um, it doesn't have to be that way in the kingdom. Yeah, and that, I mean, that's one of the basic teachings of Jesus that we demonstrate on a daily basis is do we believe, like what kingdom are we actually a part of? What kingdom has the most value? At least for me, that's a that's probably one of the most common things I both see and experience in my own heart is um, living as a citizen of the kingdom of God first and foremost that 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 that's my identity and that I believe it's better. Um, this is a silly example, but I love I love traveling, and I used to have like a bucket list, and then one day I had this realization of okay, wait a second what do you think the kingdom of God is going to be like? And I started thinking of what scripture says about what heaven is like and what the the kingdom of God is like. I started thinking about what my place in that kingdom is going to be. And it actually started looking really ridiculous all of a sudden when I thought, you know, like I've always wanted, I've always wanted to go to the United Kingdom, like, like Scotland. And, you know, just that's an example of one place. I've always wanted to go to New Zealand too. Let's say New Zealand. I don't know what, if there's going to be a New Zealand in the new heavens and new earth. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know if there'll be a place like that. I don't know. I, I know it'll be a physical place or whatever. What I do know is it will be way better than New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've ever seen like video. We have, um, Lauren has a cousin that lives over in New Zealand and we've talked about like going and visiting her just, you know, to be able to go and everything I see is like amazing. Um, and, and you just start all of a sudden realize like how silly would it be to reorient things to like focus on trying to get to New Zealand when I'm going to have an eternity to explore a much better New Zealand, like an mm-hmm. infinitely better New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And once I got to that place of realizing, okay, wait a second, if I really believe that that's what the kingdom of heaven is like, like that, that Jesus says, you know, I'm, I'm going to prepare a place for you. If it weren't true, I wouldn't have told you this. Like if I actually believe that, well, then all of a sudden the a bucket list seems pretty silly here. 
like it just just by comparison it just mm-hmm. seems pretty silly like why would i even and i actually remember one time laughing at it and just going what in the world like why why does this even and so then that got me to a place where all of a sudden i i ditched all that and and now i'm like we um we become so much more content like of just being where we are and so a lot of our travel and all of our adventures actually happen close to home we do some things or whatever and then we have an opportunity if we have, if an opportunity arises, but I don't like pursue that because I'm like, man, God, God put me where he did. He's given lots of gifts here, but I, when I get to heaven, I won't feel like I missed out on anything. And, and we actually, that's one of those worldviews that shows all like this idea of living every moment, you know, to its fullest and, you know, live each day. Like it's going to be your last and all this like that. What that does is create such a stress and such an urgency in our hearts and a hurriedness Mm-hmm. That was never meant to be there because we were actually created to have all the time in the world, which you see manifested in Jesus, who is never in a hurry and never feels like he's missing out on anything. Mm-hmm. We're actually like in the spirit. If we believe in the kingdom, then we're, we actually become really content and really slow to like, we're not, we're slow to do a lot of things. We're like, we will be slow, <laughs> slow, slow to speak, slow to become angry um, we'll never be like moving around at a frenetic pace, um, never trying to accomplish like all the things because we'll be content and knowing that we're actually designed for an eternity where we'll get to do all the things and, and more and way better than what we have now. So that's an example of like, I think demonstrated belief and mm-hmm. faith and mm-hmm. how that's changed in my heart over time. Yeah, that's awesome. I, you know, there's one other phrase I just wanted to mention. I know we need to land this plane, but that I just found hopeful. Um, and it's, it almost seems like James almost tacked it on. I know he didn't, but it, he says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. Hmm. And I'm just struck by what, what an amazing description that I want for my life. I want it for my friends. I want it for my church family that we would be called God's friend because of the picture of the, of that kind of relationship with the king of the universe is amazing. There's something that comes with association. Like if, if you and I could say we were friends with, you know, this famous athlete, mm-hmm. we, we had him on, you know, texting. That's a big deal. Like it gives us access to things mm-hmm. that we would never have. And I just love that, that James call, he chooses to do a callback, right, to the Old Testament and say that Abraham was known as God's friend because he believed him because he had faith in him that was lived out. To me, that is such a hopeful, um, inspiring thing, talking about living each day to its fullest, living the day with that as your desire and that as your experience, that you are God's friend. To me, is very hopeful. It is. And I, man, I think what you're seeing, at least from my own personal testimony, it really does come down to contentment. For me, that was a major battle in my life and in my heart because I had to keep confronting the unbelief that God was not withholding anything, that God was faithful to complete everything that he started in me and that he's made me an heir to everything. And that's an incredible thing. Once you, once you realize that, then you have like, you have him on speed dial or whatever. Um, like you're just not, you're not worried about anything and think about what that does for you. Like this is just one example, but think about what that does when all of a sudden you're not worried about your retirement. You're not worried about all these experiences. You're not worried about 
um, missing out on what other people are doing. It allows you to celebrate with people a lot more because you don't see their experience as taking away from what you or like, you know, reminding you of what you didn't get to do or what you didn't have. Um, it allows you to be a blessing and to share the gifts and the blessing because when you, um, like when you are, you know, when you have access to the God who has everything, well, then you just become a conduit of his blessing. You don't mm-hmm. want to store any of it because you just like, you just know more are coming and it's just, it's just full of joy. Then you also receive all the gifts in every moment. You know, I, there's just so many, so many things that, that just have come through that. And that got, that has been a gift, um, through just that realization of, do I believe that God is in control? Do I believe he is sovereign, the creator of the universe? Do I believe that he loves me, that he's a good father? Do I believe that he who did not withhold his own son, that he will graciously with him give us all things. Like, do I do I really believe those things? Well, then, then live in that way and confront the unbelief. And so that's still a battle. It's it's a different battle now. Like, I feel like there's been much ground gained in that, and I'm so grateful for how God has brought me. But it it still is there. You know, it's a little bit like when people talk about being a recovering alcoholic. The battle never ends. Like, you're never like cured in that sense, and we are like that with our sin. Right, like we're we're recovering addicts to sinful pursuits, which means that the temptation is there, and the backsliding happens, and the falling off the wagon happens. There's gonna come a day where we are cured completely, and it'll never be a temptation ever again. But for now, we're just learning how to walk in that, and that's why we that's why we need one another to help with that, to open each other up. One last thing I'd say as a as a something, if you want to pursue this more. Ask somebody who's close to you. This is a this could be a dangerous question, but it could also be a really fruitful question. Ask somebody who's close to you, hey, is there any area of my life that you see where my actions don't line up with what what I say I believe? And I would I would encourage you if you do that, preface it with, hey, you have total freedom to to share exactly like I, I I know I'm asking for it. Like I know that this could be scary, but I just want you to know, like I really value your, you, you see me, you know me, you watch how I live, you know what I believe and, and just receive that and don't get defensive. Just receive it. They might need time to think about it. That's fine. But I think it can, it's a, it's a act. It's, that we don't do very much that I think we should do more. And I think community really helps in doing that to have, give people access to your life where they can see how you function when nobody's watching, you know, um, and when everyone's watching and that they know what you believe and, and giving them access to say, I want you to call this out because our desire is we want to experience the abundant life that Christ has for us. And that only happens when we walk through these things. Mm-hmm. We only grow like and are sanctified to the extent that we desire to be sanctified. Like too many Christians are just content to be like, no, I'm totally fine being identified by my sin as long as I punched my ticket to heaven. And James is saying that's not faith that saves. Faith that saves looks at a field and believes Jesus when he says, that's a treasure out there and says, oh, well, if that's a treasure that I'm giving up everything for it. It's it's so simple, and yet 
so challenging. And we want to walk with you in that. If you need help connecting with people who will know you and walk with you through those things, reach out to us. You can fill out a communication card on a Sunday or talk to us or email us at connect at We hope that this has been helpful to you today. Thanks for listening. And until next time, grace and peace. Oh,